There's just one verse I want to read to you. It is the verse 2, Micah chapter 5, and the verse number 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the word of God. We pray that you would help us as we ponder it now. Speak to every heart. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to think about the little town of Bethlehem. That was a phrase, the phrase little town of Bethlehem that was coined by uh, an Episcopal bishop in the 19th century. His name was Phillips Brooks. Rather unusual name, Phillips Brooks. Not Philip Brook or Phillips Brooks, but uh, Phillips, not Philip, Phillips. And uh, D.L. Moody shared the platform with uh, the, the bishop on one occasion. And the bishop was in Boston and the Boston population, well, they regarded themselves as being quite articulate, quite well-to-do, and, and they were kind of upper-class kind of people. That's how they saw themselves. And, and, and this fellow that was once a shoe salesman, his name was D.L. Moody, came and he preached amongst them. And uh, Moody had a very direct way of presenting the gospel and presenting truth. And one of the reasons why he was so popular is because common people could grasp what he was saying. And he was very direct. But anyway, he couldn't get his head around the fact that this man was called Phillips Brooks. So he called him all the time Philip Brooks. And it didn't go down well at all because they were very proud of their bishop and his, his rather unusual name. But it was Phillips Brooks who coined this phrase, little town of Bethlehem, because he actually wrote the hymn. And he thought of the town. He, he thought of the place where Jesus Christ was born and... And he wrote the words. It's a very fine poem, lovely words. And we will sing it before the meeting is over. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes, the fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I suppose there are few places as dear to the children of God in a physical way, historically, as this town of Bethlehem. And this particular town was uniquely blessed because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born of Mary within its boundaries. And on this account, there has certainly been much discussion and talk about Bethlehem. It's been a a place where people have gone for pilgrimages. It's been a place where churches have been erected. It's been a place that visitors to the Holy Land want to go and see because it was the place where Jesus Christ was born. Justin Martyr was a second century apologist for the Christian faith. He was a writer who advocated Christianity. And Justin Martyr, he, he said that he could identify the very place where Jesus Christ was born. Uh, perhaps he could. I don't know about that. 
It is possible that he could, because after all, he was living only a couple of hundred years after the birth of Jesus Christ. It is very probable that the place could have been pinpointed, and that place was actually a cave that, that, that he said was the birthplace, and that, of course, is highly likely as well, because the stable may very well have been a cave, uh, and that, of course, makes our Lord's humiliation all the more pertinent as we think of where he was born, because there was no room for him in the inn. And then 200 years after Justin Martyr, the first emperor of the Roman Empire, Constantine the Great, um, he decided to have a church built at the spot where this cave was. And that building, although it has been developed over the years, that building is known as the oldest Christian church building in the world, and it's called the Church of the Holy Nativity. And interestingly enough, for a very long time, for a very long time, there was a silver star in this church. And the silver star was there for such a long time, but the Orthodox monks, they took great exception to this silver star. They thought it should not have been there, and eventually it was removed. And some people will say that the removal of the star from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre was one of the reasons why the Crimean War was fought in the middle of the 19th century. And so it seems quite ironic that the place is associated with peace and goodwill to all men became a reason for war and bloodshed. And actually, today Bethlehem is on the occupied West Bank of Israel. And that's a highly disputed territory, and there's Jewish settlers there, and there's conflicts between the Palestinians and the Jews, between the Arabs and the Jews, and so Bethlehem still continues to be a place of conflict, although it was the place where our Lord came into the world. And so Bethlehem is a famous place for all kinds of reasons. But today, I just want to share a few thoughts with you concerning the biblical record of Bethlehem, because not only is Bethlehem famous historically in the years since the Lord Jesus Christ came, but Bethlehem is a famous place in the biblical narrative, going back even before the Lord Jesus Christ came. And although the town itself may be geographically insignificant historically, it's very significant. And the prophet Micah, he talks about this here in Make it chapter 5 in the verse 2. He says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been old from everlasting. Let's think, first of all, uh, about Bethlehem's history, the history of Bethlehem. Uh, there was a a very famous death took place in Bethlehem, a very tragic death. Jacob's wife, Rachel, died in Bethlehem after giving birth to Jacob's youngest son, Benjamin. And as she was dying, she, she gave him a name. It wasn't Benjamin, it was Benoni. The name Benoni means son of my sorrow. Her life was being taken she saw the little child, son of my sorrow, heartbreaking. And Jacob 
I'm not calling him that name. I can't call him that name. It brings up too many memories. And so he called him Benjamin, the son of my right hand. But that very fact was so prophetic that there was sorrow at Bethlehem. Death at Bethlehem. Weeping at Bethlehem. Because in the book of Luke chapter 2 and the verse 35, after the Lord was, was born and after he was taken to Jerusalem from Bethlehem to be circumcised, and this was a very important part of Jewish religious custom relating to the birth of uh, a man-child, and as he was being taken to, to Jerusalem, and I suppose that is, is the nearest that we can see that the whole idea of dedication, uh, a child being dedicated publicly, and the child was taken to the temple. And the old man, Simeon, who knew God intimately, came and he, he saw the child and he recognized this was the Messiah. This was the one that was promised for such a long time. And then Simeon looked at Mary. And he said in Luke 2.35, A sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. One day, he said, a sword's going to pierce your heart. The child that was born in Bethlehem will bring you much sorrow. And 33 years later, she stood at the bottom of that old rugged cross and she looked at her son and she wept, she agonized, and she remembered and the prophet Isaiah said that when Jesus came, he would come to be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Because that was the way, the only way by which we could be saved. Jesus Christ coming into the world in the form of a man to die for us on that cross. And what sorrow there was. Someone else came to Bethlehem in the Old Testament. And that was Ruth the widowed Moabitess. And she came with her mother-in-law Naomi and then she was transported out of her widowhood and out of her poverty because she married a very wealthy man and his name was Boaz and this union brought her into the fold of Israel it brought her also into the family line of Christ and Ruth the Moabites became a direct ancestor of the Messiah the Lord Jesus and the very fact that Ruth came from Moab she was a Gentile, and she came to Bethlehem, and she became part of that most precious of all families, the family out of which Christ would spring. That tells us a simple lesson about the one born in Bethlehem, that he came to be the Savior of the world, not just the Savior of the, the, the Jew, but the Savior of the Gentile as well, the Savior of peoples from every land and from every realm, the saviour of peoples from every continent, the saviour of peoples from every tribe, from every language group, from every ethnic group. He will come for all peoples. And one day in heaven there's going to be a great crowd that no man can number. And they're going to be from all the different parts of this world. There's so much talk of, of, of racism today. You know, the Bible only knows one race. And that's the human race. And we're told concerning the human race, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Another famous event took place in Bethlehem's history, and that was the anointing of David as the king of Israel. And he was anointed by Samuel the prophet in the house of his father Jesse in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem would become known as the city of David, the place where David was from. And of course, David was the, the great king, and he was the first great king of Israel. And he speaks of Christ who would come as the, the greatest king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And yet he was rejected. Whenever Samuel the prophet came to meet the sons of, of Jesse, David was left out in the fields. He's too young. He's too insignificant. We don't want him here. He has work to do. He's unimportant. Samuel said, have you no one else? Yes, I've one in the fields. Samuel said, bring him in. And he came and he was the one that was chosen. And the Lord is the one who has been despised and rejected of men. He came unto his own, we're told. His own received him not. It was the very Jews who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Sent them away to that cross. What a tragedy that was. And today there are many rejecting Jesus. And perhaps... You have rejected Jesus as your Savior. You have not given him your life. You have not given him your heart. He's still rejected at Christmas time. We have all this festivity, all the exchanging, giving of presents. And, and yet, for so many, there's no room in their hearts for Jesus. And that's a tragedy. Is that a picture of your life? Another hymn writer wrote the words, Once in royal David's city stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid a baby in a manger for his bed. Mary was that mother mild, Jesus Christ, his little child. Jesus Christ, her little child. Also, I want you to think about Bethlehem's name now. Because here in Micah chapter 5 in the verse 2, we're told that this place, which was little among the thousands of Judah, has a name, and it's Bethlehem. Ephratah. And this, I suppose, is the, the full name. Uh, sometimes if a, a place has a long name, we, 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 we shorten the name. And Bethlehem is normally known as Bethlehem, but this place is known as Bethlehem Ephratah. That's the long version. So, so what does this mean? Well, let's just break it into two parts, because there's instruction for us from these two parts. The word Bethlehem means the house of bread. Wherever you see the, the word Beth in the, in the Hebrew Bible, that, that always refers to a house. Beth means a house. Bethel is the house of God. Bethlehem is the house of bread. So it speaks of, of bread. It speaks of, of plenty. And the word Ephrata, it carries this thought on and forward because the word Ephrata actually means to be fruitful. So it was a prosperous place. It was a place with, with good ground, with good land. It was a good place for growing crops, good place for growing wheat, growing barley. So it was a treasured place. It was a productive place. It was a good place to live. It was a good place to have a farm. It was a good place to, to grow food. Bethlehem, Ephrata. And that's what this place means. And the, the house of bread, the place of plenty... The place of satisfaction, oh how that speaks to us, of Jesus Christ who would be born in Bethlehem. In John chapter 6, in the verses 47 through to 51, the Lord said concerning himself, 
Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So here he is saying, I'm the bread of life. So if you partake of me as the bread of life, and he's talking spiritually now, he's not talking physically. If you partake of me, he said, you'll not die, you'll live forever. He said, your fathers, the Jews in the wilderness, they had this manna, this bread that God gave them, fed them in the wilderness when there was nothing. And, but they're dead. And many of them had this bread and they did not believe. And they died in the wilderness and they rejected my word. But he said, I'm so different. I am the one that has been given for the life of the world. I am the one that has been given that you might be satisfied. I am the one that has been given that you might live forever. And over there in the book of Psalms, in the Psalm 34, we are told, taste and see that the Lord is good. And how do you taste? Uh, how do you taste of Christ? How do you partake of this bread of life? You put your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You trust Jesus as your personal Savior. You repent of your sins and you turn to Jesus. And you give your life to Him that He might be your Savior. That's what it is to taste. To accept that you're a sinner before God. And that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. And this place may be your house of bread today that you would receive the Lord as your Savior and Redeemer. Bethlehem's name is a house of bread. Ephrata, it's a fruitful place. It's a fruitful place. We are blessed abundantly with fruitfulness in this country, where we're blessed with food, we're blessed with land that can produce food. Uh, Northern Ireland, because of the climate and because of, of where we're situated, we, we, we don't know famine conditions. We're, we're not aware of that. Not, not in our society. We, we are so blessed. But living, living in the East, there's famine. There's times where there's a lack of rainfall. There's some countries in the world people suffer greatly. So to be living in a place like Bethlehem, in a hot country where it could be dry in the summer, and to know that there were crops coming, that was a blessing. And we just cannot begin to imagine what a blessing that that is. And in the book of Isaiah, the verses 30, Isaiah 35, verses 1 and 2, we read, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. And there you have the wilderness becoming a fruitful place. You see, if we don't know the Lord as our Savior... Our hearts are a wilderness. Our hearts are barren. Our hearts are empty. And Christ alone can bring fruitfulness, satisfaction. That's what we're talking about. Satisfaction. Life, abundant life. He said, I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. That's the impact. That's the effect of this bread of life. And that's what the Lord came to give us when he was born in Bethlehem, Ephrata. But there's one third thought I want to bring before you today, and this is Bethlehem's reputation. 
Because we read here in this verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. So, Bethlehem had this reputation for being little, of being small, of being somewhat insignificant. And yet a most significant person would be born in this place. He would be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. Now, just take that idea of being despised and yet being great. The despised Gentile widow, that was Ruth, became a mother in Israel. The despised shepherd, that was David, he became the king. The despised village, which became the birthplace of the Son of God, that was Bethlehem. And then we have the despised Savior, who was rejected even on the very night of his birth. There was no room for him in the inn. And he had to be born in that stable. And yet he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Bethlehem's reputation as a small place which yet became an infinitely great place because of the one who was born there speaks to us so much of the gospel and of the fact that God at times takes up those that are despised. God at times takes up the small people and he makes them great. He takes up insignificant people. He takes up lowly people. He uses them in his service. And there's so much encouragement there as we think of Bethlehem. But... Just think of what we are told here concerning the one who would be born. Now remember something. Micah is writing centuries, centuries before Jesus Christ would come. And he's pinpointing the very place where the Son of God would be born, where the Messiah would be born. He's pinpointing the very spot. Throughout the whole of the Old Testament, we have the unfolding of of this great deliverer who would come into the world, the Messiah, the Savior. The Old Testament's the story of God guiding all of humanity towards this point where the Son of God would come. We know he would be a man. We knew that in the Garden of Eden. Eve was told that. The servant was told that. Adam was told that. A deliverer who would come, he would be a man. He would be born of a woman. And then after the, the days of Noah, and after the great flood, we have... Abraham's family pinpointed. And we have Isaac, we have Jacob's family pinpointed. And then we have the family of Judah pinpointed. Eventually we have the family of David pinpointed. And God is constantly overseeing that family. And not only that, but he's overseeing all of world history to bring about this moment where his son would be born. And here we have Micah in chapter 5, verse 2. He tells us the very place. And thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, Points a very geographical spot. And when the wise men would come from the east looking for the child, they would go instinctively to the palace thinking the king would be in the palace, but of course the king wasn't in the palace. Where was he? And the scribes had to go back over the scriptures and they came to Micah chapter 5 verse 2. The Bible says he was born in Bethlehem. So the wise men, they went to Bethlehem. There he was. The word of God doesn't get things wrong, you know. The Word of God has never, ever, ever been discredited. Never been discredited. There isn't one fact in God's Word has been proved to be incorrect. 
people have thought that parts of the Bible were incorrect, and then they had to rethink. And that has been happening all the time. And there have been many, many discoveries which authenticate the Bible's history. There have been no discoveries which have undermined the Bible's history. No scientific ideas ever undermine the facts of Scripture. No historical fact has ever undermined the facts of Scripture. And the Bible interprets itself and the the, the prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled in the New. And that tells us that the prophecies concerning the yet future of the world, concerning Christ's coming again, they're going to be fulfilled as well. You see, the Bible stands up to scrutiny. I believe that with all of my heart. And we can see that worked out here as the prophecy is given that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. The Bible stands up. Its facts are genuine and they are real. And we are told here that this one who would be born, he would be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old for everlasting. He would live before he was born. None of us lived before we were born. No man, no woman ever lived before they were born, but this man lived before he was born. His goings forth have been of old from everlasting. He's been around from everlasting. You see, in Isaiah chapter 9, in the verse 6, we read of a, a child who would be born and a son who would be given. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The son was not born. The son was given. The child was born. The Son of God became human flesh. There was a birth there, and a very real birth. There was very real human flesh. But God gave His Son. He was always the Son of God. From everlasting, from before, there was a world, or a universe, or a sun, or a star, or a blade of grass, or an atom. There was God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And God decided to send forth His Son into the world in order that we might be redeemed, that we might be saved. His goings forth have been of old from everlasting. And he is the great ruler. And as the ruler, he comes as a prince. He comes as a prince of peace. It is fascinating that the first people to worship him, they weren't the wise men from the east with their rich gifts. They they probably came months later, perhaps even two years later. They, they didn't come at the moment of the nativity. Christ was in a house, not a stable, whenever they arrived. The Bible says that. Mary and Joseph continued to live in the vicinity of Bethlehem for some time. The first to worship him were the shepherds, the lowly people, the humble people. Oh, that's so suggestive. Christ came as the good shepherd to give his life for the sheep, the first to worship him, the first to hear the good news for the shepherds. And so they left their sheep and they came down the hillside to fall down and to worship him. And it was something that overwhelmed them. The message that they heard from the angels on that night, peace on earth, goodwill to all men. He came as the king of kings to bring peace. The peace might rule and reign in our hearts. And there is peace through this child. The birth of a child brings so much hope, so much excitement, so much joy. We've had a dedication today 
And we're reminded of the joy that a child brings. But the joy that this child brings, that Jesus brings, the hope that he brings. And so many people around us at Christmas time, they miss the entire message. The Prince of Peace. Has he come to bring peace in your heart? Have you accepted him into your life? Phillips Brooks wrote, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us. Our Lord, Emmanuel. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Write its message upon every heart. For Christ's sake.